Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. Blue Canary is excited to announce their second location is now open in Bremerton. The Blue Canary Bremerton facility has undergone an extensive remodel and is now a safe and well-equipped modern repair shop. They can diagnose the most challenging issues with you their master technicians, and array of advanced diagnostic equipment. They are proud to provide fully comprehensive services from routine maintenance and engine repair to tires, suspension, and air conditioning. Blue Canary has you covered. All repairs are backed with their two-year, 24,000-mile warranty. Hey, today's podcast is also brought to you by my favorite morning drink, Mud Water. Mud Water is made with 100% organic ingredients. They use both mycelial biomass and fruiting bodies of mushrooms to allow them to complete their full growth cycle. No sugar involved in this. Keto-friendly, only five or less carbohydrates. 100% organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, and Whole30. Ingredients include the best of the best. Masala chai, cacao, lion's mane, chaga, reishi, cordyceps, turmeric, cinnamon, and sea salt. You get all the benefits of coffee with none of the jitters or the crash. You can buy mud water in today's story notes and description of the podcast. Support mud water, support the show. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. What's good, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Your host is Tiny Tim, the Mr. Rogers of Podcasting, a.k.a. the King of Casual. We're here to talk, not so much celebrate uh, the one-year anniversary of January 6th with the official, unofficial, official political correspondent of the Bystander and frequent guest, Joel Underwood. Welcome. How you doing, man? Hey, good, good to be back. Hope everybody out there is doing good. Shout out to Blue Canary, who 
opened their second location in Bremerton. Go out there and check them out. Hey, so it's been a year. Um, what did we learn? <laughs> How are we feeling about it? There's a lot of uh, reaction to President Joe Biden's speech and um, the strength of it and how it could possibly be divisive. But I think he finally has stepped up a little bit and put a little honoriness to his name and said, hey, listen, the guy that started this needs to pay for it. And it seemed like he, without naming Donald Trump, was definitely talking to him. Oh, he 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 said the former president. I mean, he he did. He he called him out for probably the first time. Uh, you know, I I I don't have a lot of patience with with people like the like Lindsey Graham did yesterday afterwards, and and some of the others came out and said, "Oh, it was so divisive. Oh, it was divisive. It was divisive." Hey, look, nothing he said. It, it's it, it's a little bit broken recordy, right? Nothing he said is going to convince any of the people who believed that the election was stolen, that those people who stormed the Capitol were patriots, anybody who believes that nothing he said yesterday is going to change their mind because they're, they're dug in. Look, if you haven't read it yet, it's in a few different places. Uh, it's in the Atlantic. It's in slate. Um, he's published his own paper. His name, uh, he's, he's a guy, his name's Robert Pape and he is a sociologist at the university of Chicago and he, for the last 15, 20 years, has been studying domestic terrorism and specifically domestic violence terrorism. And when January 6th happened last year, he mobilized his machine, right? He got his uh, his grad students and his researchers ready. And as these indictments came down, because when you get indicted, your paperwork becomes a matter of public record. Anybody can can look at it if they request. He started feeding the paperwork into this database trying to figure out who were these rioters who were these people who came to the capitol and who were these people who stormed and and now we're up to what like 700 yep you know of, of these so. indictments of these of of these papers so he has a, a pretty good sample size here and what he has found out he's published his results and what he's found out is pretty amazing number one these were not Proud Boys, these were not neo-Nazis, right? They, there were some sprinkled in, but for the most part, these people were frighteningly mainstream. 52% of them owned businesses. About the same percentage of them had college degrees as the majority of the American population. About the same of the percentage of them had former military service as the average American population, okay? These, these, were, these were mainstream folks, all right? These were, these were not militia groups that, that came looking for trouble. Next thing. He found out that the vast majority of them had taken some degree of financial hit in the last six to eight weeks before January 6th. There was, if you dig back far enough, there was a, a well, loss. Take a hit, right? Well, right. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a lost job. There was a lost house. There was a business that closed. There was the death of a loved one who was a salary uh, bringer into the home. There, there was some sort of financial hardship. And then, and then here's the big one. He wanted to figure out where they were from and he didn't go to States. He went all the way down to County. He made a database of what counties they were from overwhelmingly across the board. These people, you would think they would be from Trump land, right? You would think they would be from red state rural. No, just the opposite. Overwhelmingly, they were from blue counties. They were from counties that Joe Biden had actually won in the 2020 election. And they were from 
counties that the white population over the last 10 years had massively declined and the Latino, Black, Asian population had massively increased. These were people who believed in great replacement theory. These were replacement theorists, okay? And and people who there there is, it's a thing out there that sociologists talk about, that there are people who believe that this is a conspiracy, that, that there is an actual concerted organized plan out there to replace white people as the majority population of the United States and to replace them with African-American, Asian, like that, that's a, that's a thing. Okay. And remember, by the way, let us go all the way back. Isn't it fascinating that the two great events that, that bookend the Trump years on the back end, it's January 6th on the front end, Charlottesville, right? Remember Charlottesville, there are fine people on both sides, that, that whole thing. What were they chanting as they came out of the cornfield holding their tiki torches? You will not replace us. Okay, replacement theory is out there and it's real. So, so here's the thing. We can, we can sort of take Trump supporter people into kind of three tiers, three categories. The first tier, which is probably somewhere between a third and a half of Americans, are the people who would vote for him again if he ran again. They'd vote for him again if he ran again. Okay, they they don't necessarily believe crazy stuff. They'd vote for him again if they ran again. Now, subset of that. All right. Somewhere just below a third of Americans, we think statistically believe that he won the last election. They wouldn't just vote for him if he ran again. They think the election was stolen. They think that there was fraud. They are all in favor of these new election laws and things that are that are happening in Georgia. All that. That's that group. Then we get down to the the group that's going to like start it, capital I, capital T, when it goes down, right? This is these people. We think, based on on surveys and based on studies, that they are somewhere just below 10% of the population. They're somewhere between 20 to 30 million Americans. And these are the people who not only answer when you ask, do you believe Joe Biden is the democratically and legally elected president of this country? They answer no. Then when asked, and do you believe force should be used? And sometimes the question is asked as military force to replace Donald Trump as the president of this country. They answer yes. They're the hardcore. Okay. So when you ask them, says Pape, when you get them together and you ask them what theories kind of unite them, it's not QAnon. QAnon's in there, but it's not. But it's not all of them. It's not. not boys. It's it's, it's not, not militia. It's not. Um, and they asked, uh, you know, do you believe Jesus was the Son of God and will return during your lifetime? It, it's not. It's in there. That's in there. But it's not everybody. When you start talking about great replacement theory, it's all of them. That is the tie that binds. That is the uniter. It's racial. They they really honestly believe that that's what's going to come down. So it's, I'm not saying that we should be scared of these people, but we do have to really wake up and recognize that that sentiment is out there. It's real and it's motivating the people who are going to be first in line when when the match gets lit. I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to stay cautiously optimistic, but uh, also a little scared in, in the back of my mind. That's fair. That's a good way to be, man. Yeah. I tell my kid all the time keep your head on a swivel that's right right and uh 
So what was some of the highlights you thought of the speech where Biden actually bit back and um, showed some strength? Of, of Biden's speech yesterday? You know, it's interesting. He had two speeches in two days and they were very different, but they were very similar. You know, the, what's the, the other speech you're talking about? First, he did the, the day before he did the big COVID speech before the briefing. Oh. And, and he also and, did the Ukraine, and, Ukraine, right. Russia. Yeah, I did the, the whole here's what we're not going to, you know, euphemistically we call it. We're not going to take it anymore. Um, it's tough because he, his critics come at him saying he sounds like a broken record. He says the same things over and over again. Well, I'm sorry. The same things are the same things to say. I mean, there's not much more to say. If, if you look at COVID, it's get vaccinated, yeah. get vaccinated. If you haven't. And there's again, there's about a third of the country that has just decided they're not gonna. They're just not gonna. For whatever reason, either they're more afraid of needles than they are of COVID, whatever. They're not going to do it. Considering it a, a flu shot or. A, or a, they're, ju- they're they just they don't believe at some level, they don't believe in the concept of the public health. Yeah, it's, it's everybody's job to keep everybody healthy. I know so then, people that got vaxxed as well, but uh, they're not looking forward to or really participating in in the idea of boosters. And, and hey, to be fair, yeah, there's a lot of pushback. Forever. Uh, I mean, that's that's the thing is the WHO is saying, hey, America, hey, developed world. It's kind of immoral that you guys are moving into the booster phase when the rest of the world is having trouble getting shot number one in arms. That's what we should be focusing. We're not going to boost our way out of this pandemic. And and even the the guy who founded uh, I want to say it's is it AstraZeneca over in England, whatever. He said, listen, we're not going to boost the whole human race every six months. Like this, that is not sustainable. So we're going to have to to get to that herd immunity. Um, but moving on to your question, uh, yesterday, uh, I I did like. By the way, shout out to his speechwriter, whoever wrote um, "Holding a Knife to the Throat of Democracy." Come on, that's that's a good line. That's a good line. I don't know who his speechwriters are. Your your speechwriters are supposed to the sort of the profession. You know, the rules are you're kind of supposed to stay in the background and not take credit for things to make sure yeah. that the speech is affiliated with the president. Um, the but the, the main thing that I hope I hope I hope I hope if people took nothing else away from it was and he, he stuck it near the end. I wish I wish it had been a little bit more towards the beginning. You're not a patriot if you only love your country when you win. That I, I thought. It, 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 he could have said a whole lot less. I thought the whole thing was a little long. And, and if he had just really focused on that, you're not a patriot because all these people call themselves patriots and they roll flags around and they stuck flagpoles through the windows in the Capitol and they did all that. You're not a patriot if you just love your country when you win. And, and we go back to, um, you know, it took us back to, to Al Gore when Al Gore stepped aside. What he said, like, listen, I not only am I going to step aside, even if I don't necessarily agree with what's going on, I am going to support my president and I'm going to mm-hmm. do what I can to help the country. I mean, that's 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 sort of what you're supposed to do. So. Yeah, I so, yeah, I, I wish he had led with that a little bit. more. Yeah, I think I've done that in the past. Um, Trump just aggravated me the way he carries himself to the extent where I, I couldn't couldn't really support him like I had other presidents that I hadn't voted for. Um, you know, I, I get upset when you see a, a poster with Obama with a Hitler mustache or, yeah. you know, you're taking our leader, whether it be Donald Trump, Joe Biden, George Bush, and just make them out to be the biggest sinner and, and the worst person in the world. Um, hey, that's our leader. And, 
you know, sometimes w- whether you're in military or just a private citizen, you're going to have to deal with leaders like that. And uh, it's best that you support them because internal fighting is not going to help. It's, it's true. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the question that you really, that that philosophically really brings up is to what point, right? I mean, I could say the same thing. The, the same thing was being said in the 16 and 1700s about kings. Well, you may not like your king, but he's your king. And so you really should support the government. And, and the, the whole Declaration of Independence, the whole, the whole idea of you know, what, what Thomas Jefferson wrote when he encapsulated the Enlightenment into miniature is there does come a point. Mm-hmm. There does come a point where you have to go, mm, no, I, I can't. Even though you're my leader, I can't follow you anymore. We're going to move the whole show out west and start over again. And America hasn't shown uh, uh, eagerness to have coups, but it, it almost seemed like this. We've was experimented close to with it. the idea. We've experimented with it. Yeah. I mean, look, hey, I can I can make a very good argument that if Robert E. Lee doesn't order Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg, then at the very least, I'm not saying the South would win that war, but the the confederacy the army of northern virginia at that point would have had an unimpeded path to washington dc at what so what how do you think that goes what do you think robert e lee does that you know you can you can definitely imagine lincoln fleeing to where you know with the, where is the government then how does that work um we've experimented with it absolutely and biden has spent the majority of the year trying to sell us on unity in a, in a country that's been divided for four years and seemed like he took a little bit of a step back from that th- in this speech. Do you feel like we're close to having a, anything close to another civil war? You know, no, the, the, I mean, the, that would first, first of all, here, when you look at the pre-civil war United States, um, the country actually broke down pretty neatly you know, there was the agrarian South. There was the there 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 was the the industrial North. There were people who that's not to say that there weren't pockets. Yeah, there absolutely were. But but you could really draw dividing lines. America doesn't work that way anymore. You know, you look at every election map for the last oh three four cycles. It's the same thing. It's these big pockets of blue in the urban cities in every state surrounded by this red land of, of rural America, but it's every state. If we wanted to say, okay, it's going to be whatever the West coast against everybody, or it's going to be the, the Northeastern United States is going to secede and basically become Northeast liberal land. Like it doesn't break down that way. I mean, you and I both know, right? Okay. Seattle, pretty super liberal. You drive for about an hour out of Seattle, any Mm -hmm. direction, and it gets very Trumpy very quick, you know, down where I live outside heading for Shelton over across the mountains uh, onto the Kitsap Peninsula. Same thing for uh, Oregon. You know, I was just down visiting my kid in Portland, Portland. You're not going to find a more progressive liberal city than Portland. Drive for an hour in any direction out of Portland and it gets really red, really fast. Mm-hmm. And so we're all together in this kind of big mush. Have you seen, this is a fascinating thing. Have you seen that Eastern Oregon 
as that there is a movement in Eastern Oregon oh, among conservatives. The state? They want to join Idaho. They want to make Idaho like this big sort of weird shaped thing and, and say, can we just join Idaho and be part of Idaho? Well, that's not unprecedented. We have had a successful secession in this in our country, in our history. There's one state that was created by a successful secession. Any guesses? No. Totally West blank. Virginia. Mm. West Virginia was the last time that, that somebody went and broke off and said, you know what? We're kind of kind of do our own thing. Well, Washington and, State's and talked about it, about it as well as uh, adding a 51st state in Cascadia and then the east side of the mountains where it's very red could could break off as well. Well, that's and that's the thing is, I you know, I, I woke up to some funny headlines because uh, for folks at home, we're recording this on January 7th, 2022. The mountain passes have gotten pounded with snow over the last 36 hours, and there's talk that they might not even be open till Sunday. And and so I woke up to to some some funny headlines of uh, what is it uh, mountain snow divides state in half and then down <laughs> below state good with it we're we're good with it that's that's good we're we're fine with it you unless know. you're driving I ninety then unless you got to get over there I don't know what you're gonna do but yeah no we we live in a very split world so it just doesn't when people say oh we're getting close to a civil war oh we're getting good. We, how would it work? I mean, we, we it just doesn't break well, you down. You get a musket neatly. and then you pack it. I you know, know. There's an ammo shortage. We're too. we're all mushed together now. We're we're all you know we're all in each other's laps. It's not the same. Hmm. So, in the history of speeches, do you feel this ranks with any strong importance? Oh, is it? You know, is it an is it an Obama on race speech? Is it an is, Obama is it the, the 2004 convention? No, 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 no. Everybody's dug in, man. Everybody's dug in. Everybody believes what they believe. And the, the, the great part about any good conspiracy theory is it's self-sealing. If you don't believe it, when I tell it to you, you must be part of the conspiracy. Of course, when when Joe Biden comes on TV and tells me to get vaccinated, well, of course, that's what he'd say, because, you know, he's in the pocket of big pharma. He wants to experiment on me. You know, any good conspiracy is self-sealing. It keeps you from hearing anything that's going on. And so, no, you're not going to there's there's only one way to change people's minds. Okay, there's only one. And it's to make their lives better. Mm. That's it. We had these people. Look, we had these people after World War Two. Right. In Germany, these people who had really bought into Hitler and, and they didn't accept that the war was over and they ran up into the mountains with a whole bunch of guns and formed these tribes. The uh, military intelligence called them werewolves, uh, the, the werewolf movement. And, and they went up and they, they wouldn't accept that the war was over and they wouldn't come down and they were terrorizing villages and bad things were happening. Well, what the U.S. military figured out when they came in with the Marshall Plan is you can't send soldiers up there because they'll just start shooting at each other and they know the land and you don't. And it's going to be this this bloodbath. They figured out. The only way you can do it is go down into the the city below, because most of them didn't run very far, and make it better. Like get the factories up and working and reopen again. Fix that those housing developments that got bombed back to the Stone Age by Allied bombing. Uh, get the water systems up and running and purified. Germany had horrible water post World War II. Get all that run, and then once you've done that, and only once you've done that, send people that they trust up into the hills and go. Hey, got a job for you. Now we're we're reopening, you know, 
the 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 factory, the Volkswagen factory, and we need we need jobs, we need people. Hey, that housing development is up and running, and the houses are brand new. You got to come back. Hey, the water. Remember how shitty the water was? Oh, the water's great now. You got to come back down. And when you actually demonstrated to people, not just told them because you they'll say you're lying. When you actually show people that this future that they fear is actually their lives are going to get better. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to go into, it's you like know, no. West, we're going to have to go into West Virginia and show these 80,000 coal miners that their lives are going to get better when they start working in the renewable industry, as opposed to going down the hole. We're, we're going to have to do that stuff. And, and it sucks because it's expensive, but you're going to have to do it first because they don't believe you. Right. And I think the definition of, you know, a good deal is both sides win. It's a win-win proposition. Sure. And sure, sure, I sure. think we have to do that to not necessarily convert, but to work together. Yeah. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to take, you know, I'm not going to trade Russell Wilson for Daniel Jones straight up, but if you give me, you know, Derek Carr, okay, we can talk about that because that's potentially a win-win. I'm, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get fleeced for one first round draft pick off Russell. Who's this Russell guy you speak of? <laughs> I thought our quarterback was Gino. Oh God. I don't, it, it, have they made a decision for Sunday? Have they said uh, Gino's going to start? No, I, I don't. Oh, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be. All Russell can do is get hurt and then you can't trade him. Yeah, so I wouldn't be then, surprised if they went with Gino. I don't know. I, I hope Bobby doesn't play and I hope they resign him. But we can talk Seahawks forever. We but. could we could do a whole show just on. It's going to be a fascinating offseason. Fascinating. Yes, um, it's going to be a good game too. The Cardinals are a good team. Um, explain Roger Stone and the whole stop the steal business that uh, he runs with. Uh, was it Steve O'Bannon and Bannon uh, and, and is, is sort of the media part of that? And Stephen Miller's still in there. I mean, O'Bannon again, looks like shit. By the way, he always does though. I mean, he's never been a cover boy he and he kind of takes pride in that um so so the idea is if if for instance let's take great replacement theory if you believe that that's happening the next question then becomes okay well how is that done how do they mm-hmm. do it so the one of the the main ways that the, the one of the the things you've got people to buy is that the election was that this is done through elections that the election was illegitimate there was fraud the election was stolen from you. And so when you get people buying that, mm-hmm. then they will be willing to fill in the blank, go to rallies, donate money, whatever it happens to be. And so the there's fact a, checkers. You're following a, a multi. But that's the point. That's what, I've, that's what I've been saying is is a great conspiracy is self-sealing. The fact checkers are in on it. I don't believe your fact checkers. I believe my fact checkers. I don't believe NBC. I believe OEN and Newsmax and Pluto and the, you know, the, 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 my the news sources. I only believe right. the view. I only believe the view for God's sake. And I don't even like the view. I like to talk, you know, whatever. You can so mm-hmm. pick and parse your, where you get your information now. So that's the idea is these guys just keep it going. They, they keep it rolling. They keep it going. Look, Trump's made a ton of money off, off this stuff. He's, he's always had people who've been willing to send him cash. Roger Stone, these guys. And again, look who's going to jail. Look who is actually going to pay the penalty. And I'm not trying to drum up sympathy for the people who stormed the Capitol. That's not mm-hmm. cool. They, they 
did what they did and and it was it was wrong but they're they listened they're going to pay the penalty but they listened to the main man who was up there saying saying go get your government back we're going to go down there and we're going to fight and we're going to fight like hell and by the way we now know he was getting text messages chief of staff was getting text messages we have them his own son his own son, Donald Trump Jr., was sending and saying, he's got to get out there. He's got to, to, to stop this. He's got to tell them to go home. And by the way, when Donald Trump Jr. becomes your moral center, you need to take a long look in a hard, dark mirror. OK, and, and what, what were we getting from the highest office in the land that started all this? Crickets. Mm-hmm. Three hours for 187 minutes. Nothing. And and when and by the way, when we get the different versions of this video, he tried he was supposedly going to record and we get to see those. I'll be very interested to see where they like, OK, Mr. President, we need you to do it again, but maybe condemn it in even a little stronger language. Um, Mr. President, could we try it again and maybe not use the words? Yeah, go get them. Uh, you know, I really want to see what these videos are, um, because, again, the, the Trumps and the Stones and the Bannons. And the Millers, these are these are people, the Ivankas and the Jareds, they're going to skate through the raindrops. And and the people down on the ground who listen to them are the ones who are going to go to jail and, yeah, you, and you pay the cost. Almost everybody around him winds up in jail, including Stone and O'Bannon um, at times. Of course, he used his pardon, so... His yeah. friends can get out. But he didn't well, pardon and Michael Cohen. And- he didn't pardon Michael Cohen. And that was one of the... The things that he was doing with some of those pardons about, oh, started about half to two thirds of the way through his presidency. Mm-hmm. Those pardons were signals that he did. They were they were saying without saying, hey, stick with me, back me up. And even if you get subpoenaed, even if you get whatever, I, I'm here with the pardon pin. Yeah, I'm ready. And and now we're in this weird phase where we have supposedly a January 6th commission in the, in Congress. Nobody's going to listen to it. but. We're in kind of that make me phase that he started. I mean, it used to be the case, even back into Watergate, you got you got subpoenaed before Congress. You trembled in your boots. Yeah, it's like you knew they were going to come get everything that you did. Now it's make me mm-hmm. make me. Hey, we've subpoenaed you. I'm not coming, but you need to come make me. And if you don't, well, we'll hold you in contempt of Congress. Well, what does that mean? You know, go to tennis prison for 18 months, come out, write my book and make millions. And that's what yeah. it means. That's what it means. Michael Cohen kind of did that, but make me <laughs> kind, of, kind of forced. Um, I feel bad for him because he went to prison and he's been in lockdown in his own house for a long time. And, you know, he says as much like I haven't really broken a law. Um, and the problem I, I have is that I identified myself with Donald Trump and I did mm-hmm. his dirty work. And uh you know, I paid the price for it and I, I was wrong ev- to ever believe him. Yeah, but I, I mean, I feel the same way about Cohen that I feel about Scaramucci and and some of these other folks who were, who were with his his revolving secretary of, of his revolving door of press secretaries, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's Spicer or, or whoever or Huckabee, Huckabee uh, you knew who you were getting into bed with. I'm sorry if you feel bad about it now. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if it had repercussions and you had to go to tennis prison for a while. I'm, I, I'm sorry. You knew who you were dealing with. 
Mm-hmm. You weren't some babe in the woods that somebody tempted you into a van with candy. I'm sorry. You knew who you were getting into bed with. And if, if the price seems high now, uh, yeah, that's, you know, what, the choices we make matter. Be interesting to find out when Roger Stone started the uh, actual business, Stop the Steal, because if I remember correctly, he had started that before Donald Trump even got elected. Well, he had... I mean, Stone's always done stuff like this. If you go back to if you if you follow Stone back, he's been in other countries and helped other countries basically do this same thing. This is this is kind of a playbook that he has because Mm -hmm. he knows that when you get people fired up, they will donate. They will give you money. They will buy your T-shirts and your bumper stickers and your hats and they will they, they will do this stuff. And again, Trump himself has made a ton of money off trying to stay in office or trying to uh, fire people up once he's he's gotten out. I mean, he really you, did look at this as a big money making opportunity money that you speak of. It's not political campaign donations either. It's private business. Well, some of it may have been. And that's the thing. If, if it turns out that's that's what some of this New York stuff is about, where he's been he's he's been indicted in the um, in state of New York. Because when you do business in a state, you open yourself up to their business laws. We may find out that some of this was campaign. And if it was, ooh, he's in big trouble. You can't run in 2024. Well, maybe you can. I don't know. He's he's going to break the rules. I would. How much would you love to see a Donald Trump campaign from prison? Can you run if you're wow. in if you're in prison? Well, some states, correct me if I'm wrong, you can't even vote if you're in prison. Right. right. Yeah. Some you can't. But can you, you can you run for office? You can't even vote. The, people people vote for you. You're only one vote. But yeah, if if it turns out that that he did that, some of this stuff was campaign money that found its way into those those coffers, and they start again. That remember Watergate. That's what got him in trouble. Is it was the mixing of the accounts. It was this money that was raised for this getting used for this and paying burglars with the campaign money. You know, follow the money. Follow right. the money. Wow. Uh, it's a lot to t- digest for sure. It's a lot. Uh, we live in crazy times, man. Why do you think the Republican Party has not allocated its resources, allocated its resources to a, a different cat? You know, like who? Who is it? Ted Cruz? Is it Mitt Romney? Is it? Is some? Is it somebody else? Who's their option? Who? They, who that's can they the problem. That's a a proper person. That's the exact problem is Not nobody Cruz is, but yeah, nobody has shown his stickiness. That's the thing. Remember back when he was running the first time, remember that incredible slate of people. I mean, there was Marco Rubio, there was Jeb Bush, there, there was Cruz. Uh, I mean, there were, there were all these guys that were going to be the Republican heir apparent and Trump was a joke when it started and one by one by one, they fell away because nobody had his his appeal. Nobody was getting the response he was getting. Nobody was getting the rallies he was getting. Nobody was inspiring that fervor amongst the base that he was inspiring. And nobody really has sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think you think Lindsey Graham would have done the about. And by the way, Lindsey Graham has said the quiet part out loud. Lindsey Graham has said the Republican Party doesn't really have much of a future without Donald Trump. And that's why I flipped on him. You know, there, there are all these guys look at, we're talking about January 6th today. Look at these statements 
by people like Kevin McCarthy, by people like Lindsey Graham after the, the days after January 6th. And then look at them in the last few weeks. Total flip around. Mm-hmm. Total, total defense of Donald Trump because they do the math and they see that without a figure like him, they don't see a lot of Republican elections getting won in the near future. So, I mean, again, you you've always we've we've sat at these microphones and you have have long bemoaned the idea that there's only two parties. You wish there were there were more. I would argue that right now there's four. Right now, you've got mainstream Republicans, mainstream Democrats. Then you've got on the Democratic side. You've got the AOCs, uh, Elizabeth Warrens, Bernie Sanders's. You've, you've got the most extreme elements of that party who see anything less than all of the shopping list and build back better passing being failure. OK, then with the Republicans, you've got what I would argue is kind of kind of mainstream. And then you've got the what is it? The Freedom Caucus, they're calling themselves now, the the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boeberts, the, the Louis Gohmerts, the, the people who, again, they are kind of speaking to those great replacement people and see them as a viable political base. Then I would argue you might even have yet a, another break off from the Republicans, which is they would call themselves the real Republicans. Um uh, 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 the, the, the other folks would call them rhinos, Republicans in name only. These are the Liz Cheney's, the, the Adam Kinzinger's, the people who they let be on the January 6th committee to invalidate it, really, uh, and say it's all just political. These are the people who have been willing to come out and and call Trump Trump and and talk about him. And the Republican Party really is going to have to, over these next couple of years, decide their identity. Mm-hmm. And and what they think, you know, what what they think they they can be. Is there a pro- progressive party as well? A prog- well, that's what I'm saying is the the that Democratic break off the AOCs, the oh, okay. Elizabeth Warrens, the Bernies. Yeah, that that's they would call themselves progressives. Yes. All right. Um, anything else new and exciting in the political world that the listeners need to hear in Podcastville? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I mean, there's the COVID is kind of the ball game right now. Uh, obviously every, every government in the world is going to kind of be judged on how it handled this mm-hmm. and what it did with this. Look, um, if you talk to your British friends and you and I share some on the Island, actually, as, as part of our Aston Villa, uh, uh, fanship, oh, by um, the way, the Aston Villa, uh, tavern is now open. I saw that. I saw that. I, I have to check that out. Uh, hopefully the games will stop getting postponed and, and we'll yeah. take a look. But and unfortunately um, it's a block away. So it's easily accessible ooh, for me. Wow. Not a good thing. That's, that's, <laughs> that's temptation. That's moral hazard. Um, but for, I know British folks who hated, hated Boris Johnson, who thought mm-hmm. Boris Johnson was just the worst and made fun of him and made yeah. fun of his hair and made fun of his life and his handling of the COVID crisis and, and that the immediate vote to give British citizens that, that 75 percentage of their paycheck and tell them to stay home and, and do all that stuff that turned them around on Boris Johnson. There are people who were not fans of Boris Johnson who are now big fans of his specifically because of how he handled COVID. And that's, that's going to happen in both directions all over the world. There are countries where they looked at their government leaders as pretty good and they feel like they blew COVID. 
and and now those people are going to be facing a reckoning come come next election. I, um, I would have liked to have seen how Andrew Yang would have handled the COVID here in America. I think it would have been very data driven. Yeah, yeah. I also he's, think he's, that we'd have money in our pocket a lot faster. I well, yeah. I mean, we would have done that if he could have gotten that through Congress. That would have been already happening. Yeah, you know, before the COVID hit. Um, Yang gang. Yes. It would have it would have been interesting to see somebody who's a little more data driven in the driver's seat. Um, And then you compare what we did to what our neighbors to the north did in Canada and what Trudeau and and that did. So 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 COVID is is very much the ballgame. It's going to be New Zealand and Japan, too. They they had pretty good success. Right. New Zealand locked that stuff down. And Australia also uh, went hardcore on the lockdowns to the point that now their their people have and not are starting to have been for a while starting to chafe under that mm-hmm. uh, and say, wait a minute, you know, at some point we got to go outside. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to watch the Olympics and see that, that are that are coming up and see who goes, who doesn't, how many people go, how many people don't. How are the athletes treated? What is a Democrat, a, a diplomatic boycott anyway? Does it matter? Oh, the Chinese are so upset. Oh, Joe Biden won't come to see the Olympics. Oh, we saved him hey, a seat. Olympics are in trouble, big time. I mean, that Houston Rocket player had one tweet and then China shut down the NBA and it cost the NBA a billion dollars in, in just one day over there. And then the, the Chinese tennis player that uh, I think she won the doubles at Wimbledon this year and was in the top four. Um, you know, she came out saying that a government official sexually right. abused her and so then that, kind of vanished. Yeah. And then yeah. she's being propped up as a puppet now mm-hmm. in these very forged videos that I'm okay. This never happened. I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Something like that. <clears throat> but she's pretty much hidden away right now. So the, the female tennis association decided to pull all events from China indefinitely mm-hmm. um, and not participate in the Olympics there. But the men's tennis did not follow it. Uh, so you were talking about following the money early, earlier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, what is iconic about China? It's it's Nike in a lot of ways, right? It's the Beijing Olympics coming up. Mm-hmm. And how do we participate? I remember last Olympics, barely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Russia couldn't participate and they had to go as individuals. So there was... Mm-hmm kind of a change in the Olympics, but the amount of money it takes to build these stadiums and then they're never used again. Yep. And then the political stronghold between countries and then the ethical treatment of people. I I don't see the Olympics having much su- success this year or going forward at all. Well, the, the thing is, I mean, they, they have statistically shown that if your city has never hosted the Olympics before, when they put out the call, you should run away, run yeah. away like that. You get killed economically for running the Seattle Olympics. Got killed with the Goodwill Games. Back it, in the you 80s. get killed. Yeah. And there's about there's probably about 10 cities that probably have the ability to host the Olympics. And they're ones they're all ones that have done it before. Right. You have the infrastructure in place. You should do it. If you're not that, you should run, 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 run away. And by the way, there is a, a movement out there and, and a, a body of thought that we should just have them in the same place every year. 
there should just be and we should make that place really nice and you go there every year every every you know when when you every time you have the olympics you should go there and that should be it and it should be a fairly politically neutral place and maybe it's back in greece maybe we help the economy of greece because they need help um and and maybe and that's where it all started supposedly so maybe maybe we should do it in greece but but wherever the the old model of we're going to move it around and and that model was based on the idea that sports and politics should always be divorced yeah, and the, the one thing we can sports right and the the one thing that we can all agree on is every few years no matter if you're communist capitalist whatever we can all come together and celebrate the awesomeness of amateur athletes on steroids that was the idea <laughs> um back in the 70s well that doesn't we we live in a world now where the stakes are too high mm-hmm. where if if you know we live in a in a country where russia is on the doorstep of ukraine with the tanks ready to roll and there aren't a lot of ways we can voice our displeasure with that that they will hear there aren't a lot of ways that the international community can can sanction them in any way that's and, why it was so historical when jesse owens made a display in germany you know yeah and tommy and they, remember uh uh, Tommy Smith on the podium, yeah, you know, uh, the, with those those guys, um, yeah. Th- there are th- politics has bled over Into a lot. Olympics forever. Yeah. To the Olympics for for a long time. Um, so it's a little naive to say we should always keep them separate. But yeah, I I think the the question is really going to be as as we move forward into this. And and the question with any sanctions, any economic sanctions or any sports sanctions or anything, are you punishing the people you mean to punish? Mm-hmm. You know, are you punishing the governments? Are you punishing the politicians or are you punishing the these these yeah. these young athletes that most of them are not going to have million dollar careers in their sports? Most of them, this is they've worked for their whole lives to get here to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are you a are you going to change anything? Or are you not? And B, who are you punishing to do it? I mean, you can imagine if 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 you're your guy, you're you're your soccer fella, you're your youngster. Let's let's say he he busted his butt and worked from the time he could walk to get on the U.S. national men's team. Mm-hmm. I, imagine you having to come into his room one night and say, hey, son, it just came to over the papers. I, I know you were excited, but you know, you guys aren't going to Reykjavik this year for the for the soccer stuff. I mean, it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. So who are you hurting and are, is it going to accomplish anything? Speaking of soccer, World Cup's in Qatar this next go around and they've built billions of dollars worth of soccer stadiums. Yeah. But it's not like they have soccer or NFL leagues. You know, what's going to happen? And they, they had to put air conditioning in, yeah. inside the stadiums because it's 130 degrees yeah 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 yeah. i mean those are just going to be relics they're going to be like the original coliseum after the world cup in my belief they they might or i mean maybe that maybe cutter well and that's that's the cautionary tale right rio was that that was that was the train wreck you know there were so many things that went wrong in rio it it so came down to the last minute with all the infrastructure and now everything's there and and uh, they didn't get the economic bump, and and yeah, Rio is is what what any city whenever they put out the call for for hey, who wants to host the Olympics in twenty years? If you've never done it before, if you don't already have the infrastructure, look at Rio. Mm-hmm. That's what's waiting for you, and run away, run away. 
Yeah, the economy wasn't stable enough back then for me to take my son or my family to to Rio. Mm-hmm. But you know, I always had a dream to go to Brazil and, and watch soccer. I wanted oh, to share man. that with my kid. Yeah. But then there was so much, um, you know, the turistas and, and the killing of tourists and the the just in your face yeah. robberies and stuff like that. None of that seemed to happen during the World Cup, but. Hmm. You see it now, those businesses around those stadiums and those stadiums, the grass is higher than the stadium. Wow. They're just not being used. There's no, no, nothing to put in them. And Brazil has a, a great soccer culture, but uh, yeah, sure. the money's not sweet over there at all. Mm, mm, mm. And then, of course, you know, we haven't said the C word. I mean, corruption in, in a lot of these countries make everything so much more expensive and so much worse because... Your your local governments, your federal governments, mm-hmm. your your state they they take their their slice off the top, and it's incredibly incredibly open, and and as a result, everything's harder than it's got to be. Everything takes longer than it should. Everything is is right down because everybody's kind of taking their piece of the pie. Wasn't it Venezuela the the leader there that had um, took away the supplies um, that? Red Cross had delivered to the right. Yeah, they were having and- trouble getting getting stuff to the people. You know, I um uh one one of the people I used to work with at at the school I used to to teach was a a real um mover and shaker for I won't say the the foundation name on the air, but a a large foundation with the name of a famous person that everybody in Seattle would recognize, and they were trying to get medicines and set up hospitals and do all kinds of amazing things in Africa. And I once asked her during an interview, if you could wave a wand and get rid of one problem that was in your way, whether it was access to water, roads, whatever it was that would have made your job easier, what would it have been? She didn't even blink. She didn't even hesitate. She said corruption, governmental corruption, everything you tried to do. There would uh, eventually a car would pull up, a bus would pull up, somebody, these guys would get out in the nice suits and they would go, hi, we're here for our, you know, and, and depending on where you were and who you were dealing with, they were more, more or less open about it, but they would say, Hey, we're here for our, our part. And it just made everything so stinking difficult because you have to decide. She said at the very beginning, you have to sit down with your, your, your superiors, the man in charge. Um, and you got to go, or I guess in the case of the Melinda Gates foundation, the woman in charge, and you got to say, Hey, listen, are we going to be a, in this particular project, are we going to do the bribe thing that'll get stuff done? Or are we a non, do we let it be known? We are a non bribe organization. And if we are a non bribe organization, everything's going to take twice as long and it's going to be twice as difficult, but you have to keep to that because if you give one. If you play ball with one dude, everybody else won't let you do anything until you play ball with them. The corruption makes everything so incredibly slow and difficult. And I'm sure it's happening right now with PPE and vaccines and trying to get needles into arms of people with COVID. You know, the the, the corruption in some of these places just is this massive roadblock. Moderna never made a profit until this year. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. 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 All right, Joel. Thank you for your time today. Um, hey, buddy, no problem. Talking to you, listening to you. Don't do it enough. Um, got any music gigs coming up? Uh, I will be, in fact, on the island. I will be near you 
on right now it's scheduled uh for february 16th at uh the the um awesome 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 fletcher bay winery there in copper top uh doing doing their happy hours everybody is and and this is kind of again we're coming to you folks on january the 7th of 2022 everybody's kind of deciding how they feel about having music and having open stuff i'm i'm sort of i've got a lot of people in my sort of email who are kind of in the wait and see mode one of the big restaurants that i like to play excuse me that i like to play down here in olympia has just canceled all live music for the next four weeks and said we're we're, we just want to ride this out we want to see you know, is this something that's going to go away when enough people get boosted? Is it a wave that's just going to crest and then go away? They, they're kind of in a look-see. So I have, I have some things booked for the summer. Uh, I have a, a few things coming up, but everybody's kind of diving underground a little bit now. It's what, um, yep. it's what uh, uh, the CDC refers to as a soft lockdown. Hard lockdown is, of course, the government says you must close restaurants, you must close schools. Soft lockdown is... The government didn't say you have to close the restaurant, but all your people are sick and you can't get any food in the restaurant. So you have to close. You right. know, we're, we're kind of there. Some restaurants already taking the precaution and shutting down um, already this week. And there was a notice from my son's high school that uh, they may be shutting down shortly yeah. as well, depending on how many more cases. Yeah. And by the way, uh, some of the when you were texting me before, I, I, we might not want to say the name on the air, but but some of those restaurants that you mentioned that are, that are shutting down along the main strip there in Bainbridge. Some of those are some of my favorite places. And and I know people who work there and I know people who own them and I've owned a restaurant myself. Uh, Just a a shout out to, to folks out there. If you, if you have a night in and, and you're, you're trying to figure out like what to do, you don't feel like cooking, please, please, please don't get pizza hut. Please don't get Domino's. Please don't do a national chain order from a local restaurant and and go and and either pick it up or or have one of their people do delivery to you. you you could be your your night of orders could make the difference between them being able to be open for another few days or not so please 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 buy local as always and and support your your local eateries and your local staff uh if you have a choice because it's it's getting it's going to be tough times yeah very well said thankfully we're on an island, so we don't have many national chains. McDonald's <laughs> you got a few, Subway. though. You got a few, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to The Bystander. Thank you for listening. Please support us on Patreon, and we'll talk to you soon. Be kind. <laughs>